Hello, hello. Welcome to In a Nutshell, a podcast focused on innovation, entrepreneurship, and bringing about change. I'm Akshay Sareen, your host for the first series where we explore social entrepreneurship. In a nutshell, of course, a podcast by First Main in collaboration with Blessed By. Our guest for today is Manoj Kumar, aka Bhat, who is the co-founder and CEO of Social Alpha, and we're going to discuss hiring and team building in the social entrepreneurship space with him in today's episode. So, Manoj, how are you doing today? Good. Uh, you know, working from home and usual tiredness. Usual. Because, you know, <laughs> I I have now started to realize that actually going out is less tiring than staying at home. Really? I'm quite a fan of work from home. Yeah. So, no, my productivity is definitely much higher now. Mm. Uh, I'm able to do more. But I miss human interface, right? Meeting people, meeting teams, you know, having a cup of coffee together. I'm not doing it on a Zoom call or something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But it's, yeah. It's a new world. We have to get used to it, maybe for a much longer period. Yeah, you're a very busy man, so I'm assuming that this time at home must be quite valuable to you. Yeah. You're quite the popular man in demand for various projects. <laughs> I think our conversation is really nicely timed because um, our focus is on, on hiring and building teams in this particular edition of the podcast. And that's something that is a constant pain point for everyone, including myself, because as we have this conversation, I'm also trying to figure out, wrap my head around some of these things. So what are some of the tips that you have? Like, so when you hire and people for different roles, do you hire them based on their skill set? Do you hire them for um, something that is not seen to the eye, like personality traits. How do you actually go about, especially in the social entrepreneurship sector? Yeah, that's a great question. And because for me, this problem is much more accentuated because I can't pay them a lot, right? Being mm. a social alpha is a not-for-profit and I have limited resources. Yeah. So I cannot attract people by paying Goldman Sachs or McKinsey salaries, right? Yeah. But I need talent that can find job anywhere and they're working with us for, you know, out of a choice. So it's not easy. So basically, you know, I uh, I knew this when we started that finding good people is extremely important. And two, uh, it cannot be a pure play commercial transaction where, you know, you are basically competing with other people on, on you know, so-called CTC or know salaries so then how do you how do you attract people who are really good and you are not able to compensate them financially you need to identify what else motivates them right so for example if i were if i were to look for a job today money is not going to motivate me and maybe what what is going to motivate me is maybe purpose of the organization or maybe the freedom i i need or maybe you know uh, the culture or the co-workers in the so every person has a priority right and they look at it so for me uh, you know hiring the right people is absolutely not something that is negotiable so i keep looking for better and better people all the time but i tell them even before we start the conversation that look money could be a constraint 
so if you're only looking for money or if you if money is a constraint for you or, or that's going to be a really big influencer in your decision then you know we can be friends we can keep talking but let's not you know waste each other's time on this and and that's one thing that we have to do two i also tell them that you know we have two or three levels right we take people at entry level and then mid level and then senior level and for that particular level and competence and experience we have a we have a benchmark so we are, when we when we op- make offers we op- make offer based on what we can pay and not on the basis of what your last salary was or what the market is paying you right so we remove the whole compensation discussion from the equation at all and this has been you know my sole objective last 5 years that compensation should not be a discussion at all right we so so this is one filter that makes sure that you know you are hiring people who know what you are offering we are not really that bad but we are also not you know uh, i would not say that we are in the market right and we we are open and honest about that the second thing then how do you make your workplace exciting for people good people who want to do some some good work and then you do few things number one you create a culture which is absolutely transparent trusted mm. and nobody is trying to manage other person Mm, that's right. nice so you will be surprised to know that we have 55 50 people in social alpha mm-hmm. and there is no manager mm-hmm. they have no manager everybody is an individual contributor including me no manager matlab there's no hierarchy there no hierarchy oh really that's cool yeah because because we don't manage people we don't yeah. need managers that's right nice. we manage projects we manage programs we manage portfolio of companies right yeah so I also work as an individual contributor, and I do my own stuff. And I send it to people and say, "Guys, can you review it?" Right? And they give me feedback, and I make changes to that. Or the same thing, I recommend others do. Yes. So we have we have internally we have leaders, but those leadership positions are contextual and not hierarchical. Mm. So, but what I mean by contextual that a Srikant is the person who is leading our education portfolio. Mm-hmm. Then everybody else who is working in education follows Srikant. Srikant yeah. is the leader because he knows more about the education. He is more networked with the education leaders outside in the market. This is his passion, and he has been building his capacity, competence, and capability in education. So he is mm-hmm. our education. Mm-hmm. You know, since we started five years, four and a half years back, uh, April two thousand sixteen. Yeah, so. Four plus years. What we have been able to do is to remove leadership from hierarchy and make it contextual. Mm. Right? You are a leader for investment and governance. You may not be a leader for portfolio management or operations or sales, for that matter. Mm. So the the organization is more like a network of people rather than a layered hierarchy of managers. Right? so we don't have a for example we don't have a performance appraisal system okay because we believe that the performance appraisal system was designed in industrial age for industrial workers true right how many uh, socks you stitched or how many yeah. you know mobile phones you assembled and then you you did 100% you get paid then 120 you get paid a bonus over time. we don't right so this is intellectual work uh, uh, with new age workers and they cannot be evaluated on industrial age performance evaluation model it's a bit demeaning right in human to evaluate yeah. someone else perform because 
it's a networked organization we have huge value or uh, huge stress on peer reviews right so whenever you do a pro- project or a program uh, uh, you get a few people together and review it with them take a, take their comments and feedback so peer review plays a very important important role in making sure that you are on track and all your you know things are edited including spelling mistake or including data corrections or including even the concept this whole model also helps us build teams on the fly mm. so if i am running a challenge or say i'm running an innovation challenge focused on clean energy mm. we can bring four or five people together depending upon who has the bandwidth who has the expertise who has the passion and then four or five people can come together and do a project and then at some point of time once the objective is achieved this team can be dismantled right so right. we make teams on demand for a particular objective so the the team leader could be anybody it could be a 21 year old analyst or it could be a 35 year old senior person in the organization doesn't matter glad to know that 35 year old is senior in your organization i am the oldest so but, but but we we have four or five 50 plus guys but in general we have like i think our average age would be below 30 you know Uh, we have yeah we have at least 6 or 7 people who are 20 21 so what is the inspiration behind this structure because it's very collective consciousness hive mind yeah. all these buzzwords yeah. 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 driven like basically how yeah. ants ant colonies work in it's many- more like it's quite like ant colonies uh, it's it's very chaotic to be very honest one of my colleague calls it anarchy then uh, he qualified it by saying yeah it's anarchy but it's not anarchy it's it's orchestrated so i so my example is uh, you see these big harmonic orchestra types in 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 yeah. us and yeah. europe like big ones yeah. with 20 violinists and you know and all that and yeah. there's one guy who is managing this right and everybody is playing their own instrument mm-hmm. but collectively you create a symphony right Mm-hmm. so i think it's orchestration of multiple skills multiple people uh, uh, orchestration of different age groups and different i would say priorities right and therefore you don't need managers mm. right? you just need people who are self governed so peer review system also drives self governance right no, so we don't have a policy for example we don't have an you know a manual of instruction or something we just have one one pager document we call it culture manifesto which is our collective understanding of our organization its mm-hmm. mission we have some operating principles how we work what tools we use mm-hmm. what discipline we follow so for everything we do we have condensed everything into a two pager culture manifesto come you know social alpha operating principles mm-hmm. that drives our behavior when we can't find something we edit or edit it because oh this doesn't get, so it keeps changing right? right iteratively we have built it It, it it works so far it's working i think if we grow large it won't work uh, no this, actually this, this i think work for small organizations i think uh, we'll have to see i i'm not sure i'm not so sure 50 people it's working fine the the underlying underlying assumption that you've made and is i believe is a is the correct assumption is that at the end of it at the core of it all human beings we have consciousness we have rational ability so you have to trust each human being's ability to uh, you know make conscious decisions and on the basis of that you've kind of built the structure so something that is can work at scale like look at large voluntary organizations like uh, art of living for example they they have no i mean they also work in a similar way where they entrust each individual individual and the change happens at the individual level and then the organization and its activities are built on that so i i'm personally a fan of what you're doing because i've had this battle my entire life i mean i had a short very short corporate 
separate stint, but over there also hierarchies kind of got to me. Even now with projects I'm doing, I prefer people talk as peers based on their their individual strengths. Yeah. So I think it's amazing what you're doing, and it's really nice to see someone actually practicing it. And uh, so what I was really curious about is what inspired you to build an organization like this? You could have done the regular board of advisors and trustees and, you know, the usual. I think a lot of times we end up doing uh, what we can't do otherwise and what frustrates us, right? So hmm. this was always my dream. And uh, at, a, at one point of time when I was working for a large corporation, I tried doing these things within my teams. But within within the structure of a large organization, there is limited you can do, right? You are still governed by someone else. You are living someone else's dream, right? Hmm. And then once I built my own company there, I tried it. with. But mm-hmm. it, we were so small that there was hardly any experiment. There were four people company uh, mm-hmm. and we had cheated. So there was n- not much to do it. So Social Alpha probably is the first time in my entire career or my life where I have experimented this model with 50 people. Mm-hmm. I, I think the good thing about it is, and I think the, the, the reason it is working is the honesty and transparency with which we do it. Right? Mm-hmm. And we hold people accountable. It's not that we have diluted accountability. Mm-hmm. Right? But what I have learned is when you make people accountable for their own actions and give them freedom to perform and leave them to govern themselves, right? Then people are very conscientious, very, you know, they know what is right to do and they make sure that they are doing the right thing. So this like this whole, you know, lockdown, right? I, I, I'm surprised that people are working, you know, odd hours and, and weekends and all that and they were doing it even before the lockdown but it becomes quite visible when you're doing the lockdown right yeah then i told people that we will not have a leave policy holiday policy right so for example you want leave you don't come to office you just tell people i'm not working today right Mm -hmm. so we don't have like 12 12 leaves or 15 leaves and one application right right there is some legal requirement so my hr person has actually created a leave yeah. record management system. So we have to do a lot of things for legal needs and regulatory requirements. Yeah. But to be honest, we don't have we don't have like like a policy that says that you have to come at eight o'clock and leave at six o'clock and then your fingerprint will be checked and then <laughs> on one day your salary will be deducted and all that. We don't have all that nonsense. So 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 we have we are pretty okay. Like the working from home. Uh, people have discovered during the lockdown from day one we have been uh, working from anywhere so we have we have people across the country working from home working from cafe working from beach you know from beach. yeah as long as you have internet connection you have you, you know you see if you can do what you are doing then you know it doesn't matter where you are working from but now i think lockdown has tested things here like now we are realizing why it is important to have good bandwidth mm. right good instruments and yeah. so whiteboarding capability right how do we do that online and those things mm. uh, so we are we are mentally always enabled for work from home but now we are seeing that with technology we can improve the productivity and things like that Hmm. I think you mentioned yeah. something very interesting about accountability. I was very interested in what you said. You mentioned accountability while it's theoretically easy to say that, you know, human beings are self-governing and we're conscious and we do the right thing. But for example, let's say I work for you and I start shirking my work. How do you bring me back on track? I want. You want. I want. I want. Oh. So then I'll just get paid a salary and... No, you will leave. On my own. You will. Uh, we, have, we, I have had people who came uh, and could not survive in the culture, could not adjust to the culture and left on their own. Yeah. So are you saying that my... It's very difficult. 
difficult to survive. The mm. peer pressure is huge, right? right. Everybody is working, everybody is achieving, everybody has a mission to make a change. You can do it for six months, maybe one year. So for example, we have had cases where people left and I didn't have to ask them to leave. Mm-hmm. They left on their own. Yeah. It's where it becomes visible, predictable. You know, these are very smart kids, right? They know, they know uh, how to work as a team. And I'm sure like the ant colony example that you mentioned, I'm sure like there must be some ants who are, you know, the lazy ants. not working as hard as the, the, the ants. Yeah. But honestly speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I have never, I keep giving feedback, right? Mm-hmm. I, I keep making comments uh, on what's happening, what's not, what we should be doing, what we should not be doing. But I do it as a general comment. Right. I haven't called someone and told that person, you are not doing it. That's right. right? As a team, we are, we are failing. So we should find out as a team what's the problem. So at a, a lot of times uh, when I have issues related to performance, productivity, discipline or outcomes, I let it be a team problem. Let them sort it out. Like it's, it's like, you know, I, I get a lot of inspiration from like football, right? So you have, mm. you know, people on the ground and one person is missing the shot and the team losing the game, right? So how would they treat their star footballer or the goalkeeper or whatever it is, right? So I leave it to the team and teams auto-correct it and it, it works out well. I'll give you an example, very interesting, you will like it. Yeah. I had a team that was working on a large project and I think six or seven people were there and only four were actually deeply engaged and productive. Mm-hmm. They created a sub-team mm-hmm. and the others didn't even know about it and they delivered. Mm-hmm. But at some point of time when others realized what is happening, it was very humiliating, right? I will not be able to tolerate if, if I get isolated like this. And I didn't I didn't drive it, I didn't teach it, I didn't say anything. Team dynamics, you know, people don't want to fail. Mm. Right. And and when they see that there is there is a there is a point of failure somewhere, they don't have a control on that person. They better isolate it, right? And make sure that the rest of the team perform. I've seen this happening. Yeah. Not many times, very mm. few times, but it, it happens. But I think I've been really lucky and successful in getting uh, people from the campus, you know, youngsters who come with a dream. They also realize that it's not the place where they're going to work throughout their life, right? They know Social Alpha is a small organization, cannot provide them a traditional career path or money, but they still come to learn. Why do you say it can't be a career path? Uh, it's still very early, right? It's very early to give a give a you know, long projected dream to people that look, someone joined Social Alpha and became CEO and all that. You know, typical corporate story is not possible, right? The way it can be in a Goldman Sachs or Hindustan level. But you know, what I see amazingly that a lot of people realize that they will work here for maybe two, three years. They will work hard and they will learn a lot. And then they may get some other opportunity on the top of it. This is this I have seen happening. So every year, one or two of my uh, 20-something-year-olds are going to Stanford and Harvard and Wharton and Kellogg. Okay. Right. So best of the business schools in US and uh, you go there like I have one girl in Columbia, I have a guy in Harvard, I have someone in Wharton who has now been placed uh, McKinsey and still calls team here. What, what are you working on and MBS and all that kind of. Thing. So mm-hmm. I think we, we have created the work culture and the quality of work that people can leverage to build their career on. Right. Mm-hmm. A conventional career. So, you know, it, it can fast forward your, your, your path to the conventional career. So this is what I call value, right? When yeah. you can't compete on price, you can compete on value, right? And I think we are creating that value for youngsters. It's nice. I, I tell the same things to my team also, exact same things that 
when people bring the conversation to price, always bring it back to value. Value. And everyone has a different value Absolutely. for something. Correct. Nice. Um, so you mentioned, you talked about other people's dreams in terms of the people who work with you. I'm curious to know what is your dream for Social Alpha? Only one. Which is? Only one dream I have that at some point of time when I leave Social Alpha, mm-hmm. it should run on its own like a perpetual machine that can basically be successful on its own internal cash accruals, right? What we do, we search for innovators and entrepreneurs and we help them build their ventures, right? Mm-hmm. And these entrepreneurs create impact. Today, uh, we have internal cash accruals, but we are also dependent upon grants that we raise from philanthropy, like Tata Trust, like Government of India and international foundations. But the true success of Social Alpha would be when we are on our own, right? We have enough cash generating capability to do impactful work that we are doing, right? I think we are very close to that, right? Uh, We thought that we would do it in five years. Mm-hmm. Now we think we can do it in seven years or eight years. So by 2022-23, it should be able to you know sustain on its own because our companies are maturing and and doing good. Mm-hmm. And and that 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 itself would be my personal achievement. And probably I need a CEO uh, at that point of time in a year and two, and I need to move out because right. I am not a scale person. You know, I'm more of a you know I'm an innovator, entrepreneur, creator, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a scale. I need a scale person who can then take social alpha to the scale, right? right. I will probably do something or work for that person, but uh, uh, but but we need we need a scale person who can make social alpha then a pan national, uh, you know, organization with uh, with more like today we have 130 companies in our portfolio with 35 investments, hmm. but in the, looking at India, we need thousands of startups across yeah. the country. And that's that's where we would need someone who can raise more capital, create more impact, grow more companies, right? And and probably much more younger than me. Hopefully, we'll do that. That's the dream. That's the only dream now. And Social Alpha is, uh, it's a Section 8? Yeah, it's a not-for-profit incorporated at Section 8. Basically, what we have done in Social Alpha, we have learned from incubators, we have learned from philanthropy, we have learned from investors and venture capital. And mm-hmm. we have tried to put all this together by picking up the best of all these, right? right. So I keep joking with uh, my colleague that we are, our, our intent is philanthropic, but our operating model is venture capital. Right. So we are trying to build, bring these two extremes together. And uh, if you look at our mission statement, right, in one line, what mm-hmm. we are saying that we want to, we want to create social, economic, and environmental impact. Right. We want to solve the problems of uh, economic growth, social justice, uh, climate change. Right. And we want to solve these problems using innovation and entrepreneurship as the two. Government uses. Uh, public policy as the tool. Yeah. Philanthropy uses uh, charity as the tool. Yeah. Business uses business and scale as the tool. So can we use innovation and entrepreneurship? Can we use the startup model, right? Mm. And see if we can have at least few startups every year which are trying to solve problems in healthcare, in education, in sanitation, in water, in agriculture, etc. Right? right? We're not competing with anyone. We're yeah. just trying to leverage some new models, mm-hmm. right? Can we create new markets for solving this problem? Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the simplest thing. That's uh, I think that's definitely a, I wouldn't say a trend, but a movement that's catching on very fast. That people are seeing the value of commerce for good. So, for example, the social enterprise that I'm 
that I set up two or three years ago. Our mission is to transform consumers into contributors. Yeah. And create one billion conscious consumers and then transform them into active participants in the developmental sector. So how yeah. can we take people from buying products to participating with Very good. Yeah. So something like that is is kind of what you guys are doing at some level as well. But the the organizations that you work with, are they nonprofits themselves? Are they for profits? Are they hybrids? Do you have a policy on any of this? Yeah, yeah. 90- Probably more than 90% of our portfolio organization would be for profits. For profits. Yeah. The reason is uh, we started with some non-profits, but the two, three things we learned. Number one, that if you are looking at revenue Mm -hmm. as the sustainability driver or the sustainability Mm -hmm. lever, Mm -hmm. non-profit model doesn't work and hybrid model has uh, (laughs) ethical and moral challenges for a person like me. Okay. Uh, I'm not a big fan of hybrid model because there is always a transparency issue in that. Mm -hmm. Non-profit has great leaders. They can't think of scale. Mm. Uh, You know, very few organizations like Akshay Patra have demonstrated scale. But Mm. in general, uh, uh, the problem with non-profit model is uh, it's very founder dependent. And you are, uh, and it's, it's capital model is inefficient in the sense that yeah. you go and raise money from one CSR and next year, the person changes or the policy changes, you don't get your second tranche. So yeah. today, for example, I am running Social Alpha in a non-profit model, but my mm. biggest challenge is if my donors stop giving money to me, I'll have to shut down. Yeah. Right. So for-profit model is the is the right model. The model that believes in the power of revenue is the model. Even if it is coming from philanthropy, it should come as revenue. And that gives you long-term sustenance. That builds the business. Uh, but we still tried with non-profits. So we have non-profits in our portfolio. We have Mekshala, we have Navgurkul, right? Mm-hmm. So we have done Habba. We have done some experiments. Uh, but if you want to make sure that the entrepreneurial spirit is working in the social entrepreneurship sector and making social entrepreneurship as exciting and as impactful as mainstream businesses and even better than mainstream business, then you have to use the market models. Yeah. And for-profit model is has a natural alignment with what markets have taught us over hundreds of years, right? It does good to the society. We just have not recognized that that goodness because of our, you know, several years of socialistic hangover. <laughs> True. So tell me, I think this is probably uh, maybe the last, second last question. Uh, why, why does this matter to you? Like, why do you do this? Why have you decided that you should be the champion for entrepreneurs and to bring an impact? See, for several years, we have, we have done planned economy. Mm. We have given chance to public sector. Mm. We have given chance to private sector. Mm. We have given chance to bureaucracy. We have given chance to politicians. Everybody got a chance in this country. Mm. We haven't given a chance to entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs are still, you know, great. They're doing great in e-commerce and logistics and uh, fintech and all these nice, sexy, fancy sectors. Mm -hmm. But I'm still looking for an entrepreneur who is going to solve problems in sanitation, in agriculture, in water, in healthcare, in education. Mm. These sectors also deserve entrepreneurs, Mm. right? Now... There is a barrier, right? So if I have to start a company that working in these complex sectors, I know these these are not easy problems. If they were easy, people would have solved it, right? 
so providing clean drinking water is not an easy problem it's definitely not not as easy as uh, manufacturing cars or uh, selling telecom solutions yeah. it's a much more complex problem so to solve this you have to create an ecosystem that gives entrepreneurs some level of some level of support saying that okay let me get into it there is some support now very you know interestingly government does a lot of work in this like we have several ministries who have mm-hmm. schemes for promoting entrepreneurship in complex areas department yeah. of science and technology department of biotechnology etc yeah. we also have state governments you know you and i live in karnataka you, mm-hmm. you know karnataka government every year gives 50 lakh rupee grant to 100 startups mm-hmm. how many states do it very few yeah. so 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 there is, there are some excellent uh, i would say interventions from a policy side but policy interventions will give us you know first i would say you know that first step yeah we need to make sure that we have capital we have risk capital right we need a venture capital type of an, a, a parallel industry that invest in these startups mm. and it's very difficult because the risk is very high returns you don't even know because there is no precedence mm. so the what is a 10 year irr on a diagnostic devices uh, company we don't know yet right we don't have philips or ge or siemens equivalent in india we never had product companies in this country i so, can model a services business because for example if you start a new nbfc i can tell you what should be the investment model because there are 200 other people who have done nbfc and microfinance but who has done a philips equivalent or a siemens equivalent or a ge equivalent so when we don't have a product company culture and a history we don't even have capital right uh, investors are still interested in doing uh, services so we need to find people who are willing to take 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 that kind of a risk right so high risk unknown returns maybe mm-hmm. high maybe low but not known right not modelable returns uh, instead of unknown i should say very difficult to model returns and a very long horizon right so exit 5 year 3 year 3 year exit 20% irr forget so how do you find capital that is willing to remain invested for a really long horizon right still not sure how much return they will make but is eager to take the risk that capital can come from philanthropy from government and from some high net worth individuals who are willing to you know earmark 5% of their personal net worth for promotion of entrepreneurship i think i think these are the real challenges which need to be solved so to close things off um, do you have any suggestions tips for the 20 something year olds 30 something year olds or even 50 something year olds listening to to you they go 50 something year old will give me the ideas and suggestions because they ah. have seen the world and they have they have very important thing which they think is very important which is experience right yeah uh, it's important but it's i think it's slightly overrated experience is is experience is good but uh, i know but it can also bias you yeah it's very over its importance is very overrated so i'm mm. very optimistic because the 20 something year old are becoming entrepreneurs mm. uh they are uh, uh, they are thinking beyond the campus placement which is very good mm. when you start thinking beyond campus placement and doing something that that gives you satisfaction of doing something creating something that is very important these are the people who will change the world change the country mm. and i can't give a tip but i can just say that you know you can always find a job 
find your, if you are good competent people will hire you any time so don't worry too much about finding the right job right create jobs hmm. if you are an entrepreneur you will create jobs for others right so becoming uh, an entrepreneur is not only helping you live your own dream rather than living someone else's dream create your own wealth rather than creating wealth for someone else but also make sure that you can help other people get jobs and create wealth and be happy right so as an entrepreneur your contribution to society is very high very high if you just work for a company uh, you on a payroll uh, your contribution to society is very high no doubt about it but not as high as the entrepreneurs right and then uh, you can decide your own journey and own path and not everybody is successful so sometimes you win sometimes you don't mm-hmm. but then you do it again right and entrepreneurship is all about perseverance and willingness to do it again rather than giving it up so i would say that creating a large scale entrepreneurial culture where people are looking to do something of their own is something that will create a very prosperous society in india very prosperous so the whole focus entrepreneurs shift focus from poverty to prosperity right and mm. that's very very important mm. wonderful thank you so wonderful. much wonderful take care you too good luck all the best bye thank you for joining us on this episode of social entrepreneurship in a nutshell make sure you subscribe to our podcast to receive updates on new episodes if you wish to get in touch with any of our speakers just drop us a message and we'll get back to you see you soon